thanks for hanging in there with us. Um, we are not going to have you wait another second for part two, and this is where we get into the Bay City Roller stuff. So let's get right to it. All right. So from uh, King Pandemonium to Roller Mania, let's let's get to the to the um, heart of this. Um, so um, you meet the head of um, Bell Records, um, Dick Leahy, and yeah. our lives were changed forever. Um, I so the roller. It very nearly didn't happen, you know. I mean, well, tell us all uh, about it. Come on. Well, the, the Bay City Rollers had a hit, as you girls well know, had had a hit with "Keep On Dancing." That, mm -hmm. was, their first, mm -hmm. that was their first hit, um, produced by Jonathan King. Um, it was kind of minor hit, top twenty, nothing big deal, um, and then nothing, nothing. They had a series of, of flops. Um, other other writers and producers. Uh, were, were, were brought in to work with the Rollers, um, including including uh, hit hit teams, but nobody could come up with anything for the Bay City Rollers. So we had had um, a kind of teeny bopper hit with an act called Kenny, uh, a song called Heart of Stone, uh, which was a million miles away from from uh, any of the Eurovision songs or from. The Elvis Presley songs or whatever, it was like really like a teeny bop song. Yeah. So I think that's maybe what drew us to Dick's attention. Dick said, Listen, guys, have this band, the Bay City Rollers, um, I got a big problem. Um, the 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 legal department, the administrator telling us that uh, we should let them go because uh, they've had a series of hits. We can't afford to keep recording them. Uh, and the <coughs> the powers that be, the money men say we should we should we should let them go, but he said Dick said I personally have great belief in these guys. He said, I don't know why, but I have good belief in them, um, and I think they're worth a shot before I let them go. And I'm 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 interested to see would you guys be interested in taking them on, writing the songs and making the records? No. In retrospect, and with the light of history, you think, wow, what what a great opportunity for Martin and Coulter. It was no such thing at the time <laughs> because there's, there, there would be there would be a perception amongst professional songwriter record producers that it's easier to break a brand new act than to try to try them to try and breathe life into a dead uh, you know a dead act you know mm. try to breathe life into a dead horse it's better to get up on a new horse. That's interesting. So yeah, it was no gift. The point of making it was no gift. So, uh, but Dick. In fairness to Dick Leahy, nobody can ever take that away from him. He had great, great, unshakable belief in the Bay City Rollers. He saw something so, there. Yeah, and he wasn't sure what it was. But mm. he thought there was a potential here. So he said, well, you at least go and meet them. So we did. That was, that was, that was the first uh, ray of kind of light into the whole situation. We said, well, these guys... Uh, there's an energy about them, which is hard to explain. There's a belief amongst them that it's only a matter of time before they're becoming stars. I mean, there was that energy. I, did, I remember it very distinctly because that is, I mean, I had a look at them and they were, they were, they were, they were kind of uh, average looking kids. They were good looking kids, but they were, mm. they were only 18, 19. Um, right. But they had an energy and a freshness about them because they came from Edinburgh. They weren't part of the London scene. You know, there was a kind of freshness about them. Um, what did you say earlier? The, the arrogance of youth? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, exactly. So um, I remember saying about these guys, like, I mean, have, have, have certainly an unshakable belief in themselves. 
So mm. let's see what we can come up with. So it, now it starts getting interesting. We got them into the studio, uh, and I wrote a song called Saturday Night. No. Yes, you uh, did. When, when, when I first kind of, but let, now let me correct that last statement. I didn't get them into the studio because they didn't play on the track mm -hmm. of Saturday Night. I got Nobby Clark was in the was in the lead singer. I got him into the studio and maybe mm -hmm. a few of the others to do backup sounds, backup uh, uh, vocals. Um, and we recorded Saturday night. Saturday night uh, was released and went nowhere. Yeah. Went nowhere in the UK, went nowhere. Um, so then we got, again, we have, another, we, have, we have another decision to make. Dick Lee is still his faith, his faith is unshakable. Um, and I think, I thought then, well, they've done a pretty good job on 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 Saturday night, and I think I think I can see now what Dick is at. You know, I mean, there is an energy with these guys. So okay, let's go again. So we go again with "Remember Shalala." Mm -hmm. This is still naughty now, right? That at that stage, then it was it's when it's when that was just like kind of. I think he was the original voice on there, but right. then there there are rumblings in the camp, and Tom who was the great puppet master, of course, mm -hmm. um, shuffling about and whatever the machinations of Tam and um, whatever happened anyway, Nobby was showing the door. Yeah. And in came this cheeky, fresh-faced Les McEwen. God now, bless him. I, just as I said on my, on my tribute there a few weeks ago, that was a game changer yeah your tribute was beautiful thank it you was. It really was thank you thank um, you i had a lot of time for les i had a lot mm -hmm. of time for les to be honest i think that uh he was smart he was cheeky um he was a born front man i mean he was just meant to yes, be there absolutely um, but i'll tell you he he took direction you know he took direction he didn't he didn't um there was a kind of a with with uh he didn't les from from early days kind of was happy to be told what to do you know mm. which was which was critically important because um when he came in and revoiced uh remember shalala and that took off then uh then we were at the races then we were wow. at the race then yeah. we followed up with uh with uh uh Shang Alang, all of me yeah. loves all of you. No, uh, uh, although Saturday Night was the biggest hit globally, of course it was because it was number one in the states, and, and that yeah. album was number one. But for me, my favorite song, and I think, and Les would agree, the song that defined the Bay City Rollers was Shang Alang. I think so too. Still to this day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, it, it's definitely um, our that anthem, was, if you will. Well, that was that was. You see. Saturday night, but basically the rollers hadn't evolved. It was still in my head, you know, the yeah. sound of the the basic rollers didn't have a sound. I mean, as Les said, the sound of the basic rollers was dreamed up in Phil Coulter's head, and <laughs> Shanga Lang was 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 tailored for now the evolving what had evolved um, with the introduction of Les McEwen. And now I see the other guys work, and I've seen <clears throat> I've seen the success of 
remember, Shalala, now all the pieces are beginning to fit. Yeah. Um, and Shangalai was completely tailored to all of the different ingredients, all of the different ingredients. 100%. Um, um, uh, so, so what was that, it like? To, what was it like to give birth to that to Roller Mania? I mean, how did that? Because you had to have known by now. Okay, we we're with you, Dick. <laughs> we we're here. It, it yeah, was no, a thing. Funny. I, I, talk again about Dick Lee. We were at the big the big pop show on TV in the UK was uh, Top of the Pops. I'm sure you're aware of that. You've heard. Oh that. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, when the Bay City Rollers are on doing doing their lap of honor on uh, Remember Shalala, which was top five record. I remember standing there with Dick Leahy and Dick being a record man, of course, there's a great smile on his face because now it's fin finally been proven um, that he, his faith was was not uh, misdirected. He mm. says to me, uh, what about the follow-up? And I thought, holy shit, <laughs> give me that sense to fucking, you know, like kind of enjoy this. Yeah, exactly. Have you got the follow up? And I said, as it happens, Dick, I do. Mm. And that was Shangalai. Yeah. Was what a follow up. Yeah, well, it was because then, I mean, that became so identified with the Bay City Rollers when they were given their own television series. The natural title was Shangalai. That was the theme song. Yeah. And was 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 the title. So um, uh, now we're on a good roll. And now we're doing uh, an album, is then called first. Then we get the boys into the studio. To play some of the tracks on the album. I mean, I was aware of the growing um, uh, disenchantment of the fact that you know they would have liked to have been contributing more to the single. Yeah. But the fact is, at that stage, at that stage, my brief from Dick Leahy was when go away and make records. No, no, yeah. my brief from Dick Leahy was go away and make hits. Right. You know, you didn't have time. But with a limited budget, because they'd blown their budget on the records that hadn't happened, you know? I mean, mm. Dick didn't just say, like, here's a blank check, go and take the... I don't believe that much in them that I'm going to give you endless budgets, you know? It was a limited budget, so go away and make hits, you know? And um, as fast as you can. As fast as you can, of course, yeah. So um, that was... I mean, that's the only way I was going to do it. Um, I knew I could count on Les uh, to deliver the vocals. Um, few of the other guys did the shoe wappy doobies and, and me... In fact, if you listen carefully at the end of Shangalang and at a few of those, there's a very high falsetto comes in at the end. That's me. Oh, wonderful. I'm going to check that out. I check that out. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was, that was my Alfred Hitchcock touch, yeah. That was me, <laughs> that was me getting my press. That was me. So but Les and me, uh, the rhythm section would have been like my own first team of, uh, of uh, session players, Shit, yeah. the best that London, that London had to offer. So then we got the guys in uh, on the album, they played on some of the album tracks, uh, did a couple of their own songs, but then we followed up with all, uh, Summer Love Sensation, another big hit here, All mm -hmm. of Me Loves All of You. But what was happening, what was happening, not so much with Les, I have to say, but with the others, they began to to feel it's you know it's it's understandable when you look back at it with some maturity. These kids are just like pushing twenty, some of them. Um, sure. And so they begin to believe that these hits are coming without a there's some intrinsic magic within their bodies that is producing this the, the hits and this roller mania. Um, and so their kind of their their discomfort at not being um, more involved. Is gaining more and more traction with them. And even though we got them into play on the albums, 
I mean, I, as 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 a kind of a, a sop to that 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 kind of discomfort, I thought, well, let's get them in and play. I mean, they still weren't great players, you know, they weren't great players. Um, but that was beginning. That was begin a the combination of of them beginning to believe that it was the Bay City Rollers that was important, not the hit songs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that, uh, and Tam was was buying into this because uh, even though all of me loves all of you was a top three record, Tam uh, is now making noises that uh, the boys aren't happy, and um, you know we really need to get a situation where the boys are writing these songs and they'll have more control in the studio, including in the mixes. They want to be sitting in the mixes, and, and you know I could just see this all dismantling in front of my eyes. Mm. Um, yeah, I said, Tam, it's, look, it's too early for all of that. You know, they have still a bit to learn. They've still a bit to go. Um, um, anyway, sadly, sadly, um, as I said to Tam at the time, Tam, listen, it's hard enough to get hits when everybody's pulling in the same direction, you know, and everybody's energies is directed to getting hits. It's impossible to get hits if people are pulling in different directions and having griping and not giving it a hundred percent and they're kind of, you know, holding back, that's an impossible situation. And I'm not going to go into a studio with an act who are resenting the fact that I'm there and who think that they know more than I do. I'm not going to do that because I'm telling you, that's not going to make any hits. I guarantee that that's going to make for an unhappy band and an even more unhappy producer, you know, so that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. I'm telling you, this is a crossroads here. Um, So, it became obvious that that uh, that we were at a we were we were at that crossroads. So enter enter Clive Davis. Clive Davis has now taken over Bell Records as mm-hmm. the, as the chief in 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 the states, and has uh, re 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 uh, renamed it as Arista. Right. No, Clive Davis without a shadow of a doubt, is one of the great record men. You know, people talk about his ego and talk about this, that, and the other. But what you cannot take away from Clive Davis, he has got golden ears. His track record is is better than anybody. It cannot be beaten, you know. It cannot yeah. be You think of acts from, geez, like from, from Whitney Houston to Barry Manilow to, yeah. to, to Paul. I mean, the guy just, like, he is... He has he's just got a golden touch. So Clive is now running the show. So um, we're getting nowhere with Tam. So we just said, the only, the, we have to listen. The only guy we have to talk to here is Clive Davis. Because um, we've, we, we're, at a, we're at a crossroads here. And if we've got a standoff with the band, um, and they're not going to the studio with us, and we won't go to the studio, uh, we're going to get a situation where the Bay City Rollers are going to get tied up in in in, in and legalities because we had a contract to produce the base in your rollers. It was like a, I think a two year contract, which it's still got like a lot, a lot of time to run. I mean, more than a year. Mm. Yeah. So we could have tied it all up and said, no, um, you don't go into the studio with any other producer except us. We have the contract and we could have, that could have been the end of the base city rollers right there and then. Cause as big as they were, as big as they were, if there had been sitting in, in, in legal wrangling, for another God knows how long, year and a half, two years, whatever. People, uh, teeny boppers have got short memories. They would have moved on for sure. Yes. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Because there was no shortage of other bands that were trying to, to trying to get eat the Bay City Rollers lunch. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, 
So rather, and that would have suited nobody. It wouldn't have suited us because we'd built this band up. Um, so we didn't want them to die. So we had a meeting with Clive, who is a pragmatist. Hmm. And we said, Clive, in simple terms, here's the situation. We have got a contract, as you'll know, it's on your desk there, to produce this band for like another, what, uh, 15 months or something. Um, and if we hold you to that contract, it's going to be, you know, we're going to be in wrangling. You're going to spend money on lawyers. We're going to spend money on lawyers. It's going to go nowhere. The basically rules are going to be the first casualties. So um, that's option number one. Option number two, you buy us out of the contract. Hmm. So Clive is sitting and he's going, wait a minute. I think I think these guys are, are just have just fucking lost their mind. <laughs> they're, they're 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 happy to sell off a band that is currently sitting at number one with Saturday Night, um, and can conquer the world, yeah, and conquer the world, um, because you know uh, they've got all of this momentum and roller money. However, I wasn't as foolish as 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 Clive Davis thought I was because I more than anybody else knew the limitations of the Bay City Rollers in a studio environment. Even Phil Wingman, who was the guy that was called in uh, as the next producer, has been on record. His brief was, you have to use the Bay City Rollers to play, you have to use the Bay City Rollers to sing. And he said, it was a fucking nightmare mm. because, I mean, it took forever. It took forever to get any tracks done. It, it took, I mean, what we were doing, like in, in a matter of a couple of days, Phil was taking weeks upon weeks upon weeks, which, um, that was that was that was the uh, that was the, the that was the route that the base hitter rollers had 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 now had now taken, because Col Martin Coulter, we had we were paid off. We got a chunk of of, of dough from from uh, from Arista to kind of assuage the pain, um, yeah. and off they went. Now, uh, where do we go from here? Well, while while a big payday certainly eased the pain, it didn't. It didn't, uh, as far as I was concerned, it didn't make it any easier to watch um, the momentum created by Martin and Coulter and created by Saturday Night, which was Clive Davis's choice for the first single. Mm -hmm. Not not Shang Lang, not Summer Love Sensation, not All of Me Loves All of You. Saturday Night, which had 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 not been a hit in the UK. This is where Clive Davis's ears come into play. He saw. Saturday night, that is the anthem. Yeah. Uh, interesting sidebar is that Joey Ramone <laughs> is the first one to have said, "Oh yeah, Blitzkrieg Bop," which is the big anthem for the Ramones. Yeah. Was, hey, was unashamedly based on Saturday night. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Clive Davis said, "He said, I mean, Clive Davis gone on record saying that was just a hit record. It had mm. three hooks." It, it was just at a hit screaming all over. Yeah. And I mean, that was so just as Shang Lang uh, in, in the UK and in Europe was their signature. Uh, Saturday night became their signature in, in, in the US. And yeah. it was it was they were the giddy heights that they never really scaled afterwards, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, we we did find out later that they actually could play. I mean, I guess as they got older, they got more experience. Yeah, they learned, of course. Yeah, they learned. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely. My my contention is at that stage when I inherited them, given that I had I had the brief from from Dick Lee, he don't make records, make hits, and do yeah. it fast and do it right. with that budget. I couldn't wait for the guys to learn how to play their guitars. No, you you were dealing with puppies, weren't you? <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, they didn't have the maturity even to concentrate. They didn't have the maturity to work under the pressure that I would have been given them, um, sure. with the exception of Les McEwen, you know. Mm, definitely. Um, what What do you think that their legacy is today? And what do you make of us still here 45 years later? I think it, I, I take it as a great compliment because, I mm. mean, I, 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 me, I dwell on, on, you know, it's one thing. Uh, to, to uh, as other producers and writers did, to inherit a band that is sitting at number one on the charts in America, you know, mm -hmm. and with a whole phalanx of roller believers and that momentum and all that wind already on their sails. It's one job to try and keep that boat uh, on the water and try and keep it sailing. Mm -hmm. um, that's one job. It's a hell of a fucking different and harder job to take a band who had just had a series of flops and try and create that momentum, you know. Yeah. So without without uh, without patting myself on the back, um, the Martin and Coulter contribution to the Bay City Rollers is far more important than anybody else's. Oh, absolutely! I mean, that whole first album has you all over it. And that's what got that's what got them up and running. You know, as I say, um, it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Had 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 we been able to um, work out some middle ground. <laughs> With the rollers at that time, and if if Tam hadn't been so adamant, no, you guys, we, they want, they want, they need to be writing the songs. You guys can't do them. Uh, da, 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 da. Had there been some middle ground, you know, where we could have gradually introduced them, and I would still have had that that mentoring role with them and that controlling hand. Who knows? They might have Who lasted knows? a bit longer. They might have exactly. lasted a bit longer, you know. Exactly. A bit Les well, certainly believed that. Les mm -hmm. certainly believed that. He. Uh, Les says his biggest regret was was the day that that uh, that um, that I left the situation. You know, um, mm. because funny enough, Les and I maintained a relationship and a friendship and a correspondence and a communication um, throughout throughout uh, the latter years. And he certainly kept the legacy alive. He never stopped touring. I mean, he's been working those those songs. Ever since, you know. Well, I tell you, when 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 um, when they were in Dublin there a couple of years ago, uh, playing at the festival here at at uh, Labberstown Racecourse, um, and when Les suggested I go on and join them on stage for for Shangalang, that mm -hmm. was, you know, it was like just dipping into your past. You never get a chance mm -hmm. to go back and relive, but no. I did, um, no. and. Les had all of that same energy at all. I mean, we, it was a great catch-up. We spent hours just talking and reminiscing about this, that, mm. and the other. And talking about the bad times as well as the good times, you know? Sure. Because uh, Les had been through the mill. But um, I, I take my hat off to Les that he confronted his demons, you know? Oh, um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, here's the thing, girls. You know, to have been uh, lionized and have been, have been uh, like, adored by, by, by millions of fans... Uh, globally, you know, right mm -hmm. across through, through the mm -hmm. Far East, etc., um, and been told that, you know, you've you've conquered the record industry and you know your your future is secure, and then to come back um, with the uh, when it all fragmented to find out that you have that you no no your future is not secure because you have nothing. It's right. like a Twilight Zone episode, really. You know, you you I have mean, all you know, that's, that you... I mean, that's a, that was criminal. That was criminal. It really you know, was. And, People who don't know about about the ins and outs of it um, talk about the base rollers being cheated and saying, "Well, you guys all cheated." The I didn't. We were not in a position to cheat the base rollers because um, we were contracted to the record label, 
we got our royalties from Bell Records. We had nothing to do with the touring of the Bay City Roller. Neither mm-hmm. hand actor part in it. We didn't get any. We didn't get any piece of it. We weren't involved in it. That was Tom Payton and their management mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the That's where the problem was. That's where the problem was. Mm. Yeah, our last, um, Laura and I both, our last concert was last March. We flew up to Nova Scotia and we saw um, three of Les's shows. And I think there were only two or three after that before everything got shut down. So those were our last concerts. It was my first concert in Atlantic City and my last concert so far. So it was kind of full circle, but and things seem to be opening up. Where, to, where about to Nova Scotia? He, we saw him oh. in Halifax. Wow. Halifax, um, Pick Two, and Summerside. Yeah. And well, I, I, love, I, I love that Nova Scotia. I love the Maritimes. I just love it. I love the heartiness of the Maritimes. They're kind of, they're kind of a mad mix of, of Celts and Cajuns up there. Yeah. You know, I, just, I just love their heartiness. I love it was madness. lovely up there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'd have to be hearty. We were there in March, and I've never been so cold in my life. Yeah, well, you're, you know what? You're halfway back to Ireland. You're in the middle of the Atlantic. You really there. are. True. <laughs> It, it was really nice to be able to go to those shows because as a fan and when I was a teenager, I was not allowed to go to their shows. So that was... Well, my, well brought up, obviously. Oh, my parents, <laughs> parents were terrified of the screaming thousands of, you know, teenage fans. But seeing less in Nova Scotia, that was the only time I ever saw him perform live. It was really amazing to be able to see. Yeah. Don't get me started, Laura. I was I was I was um shocked really when I heard yeah. about Les. And, and, oh. and very, very sad because I did have yes. a personal relationship with Les. and most recently because you know in, in recent times, only a few years ago, that we did get to hang out together, uh, give ourselves big hugs and, and uh um just you know do a lot of catching up. I had a lot of time for Les and I admire the way he had straightened himself out from 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 the dark yeah, spaces. That could, I mean, to me, look, it's it's you know you can never really excuse addiction, but I can understand if you come back having been told that you're you know you're a millionaire, and and then having to having to tell your parents that you got to move out of that house because it's been repossessed. Jesus, yeah, awful. I mean, you know, he had yeah. some dark hours, Les. There's no doubt about that. No doubt. Yeah, not that. many would survive it actually. No. I don't think. And I, I mean, I do. I never heard. Sadly, because of the COVID, etc., with with a funeral, it had to be a very low key affair. But, and I never really, I never really heard any more about how uh, how the death came about. I know it was sudden and at home, but I, I know none of the details. Did you? Yeah, I don't. Any no one does at this point, yeah. and there's no, there's been no funeral details or anything shared. So you're we're we're all in the same boat on that. I just, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't. No. I just hope. Well, I, I, there's a few things I hope. I hope it was. I hope it was natural causes, and mm. I hope. I hope. I mean, I mean, you know, it's happened with with a, with a lot of contemporaries of mine that been through that kind of experiences, and and you know, in the record industry and rock and roll and sex and drugs and rock and roll has taken its toll of a lot of guys. You know, yeah, you, you, you can't abuse yourself or abuse your brain and and do all like like, like crack cocaine and that kind of stuff. You can't do that. And come out of it unscathed. So no. I mean, it could very well be that that was all of that was catching up on Les. You know? Maybe, yeah. I mean, there's another another friend of mine called Henry McCullough, who was a guitar player um, 
in uh, uh, Joe Cocker and the Grease Band was a guitar mm -hmm. player yeah. in Wings, the first guitar player in Wings with Paul McCartney. But I mean, as 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 Henry said, I mean, he said, look, I have been, I have seen things. I have been to places and I've done stuff that most decent would never do, and that's, oh, yeah. I understand. But Henry, um, at in his in his early sixties, got a brain hemorrhage, and um, undoubtedly that was just because of all the abuse that he had given his system and his brain mm -hmm. over all of those years. You know, he became, and it put him in a wheelchair, and then he it lasted for a couple of years just. As you know, in a wheelchair was as little more than a vegetable, and, mm -hmm. and died a year later. So, you know, it's a it's a big price to pay. It's a big yeah, price to pay. definitely. Mm. Um, well, let's let's talk to something a little happier. Um, Laura <laughs> actually um, attended one of your shows in oh, was it Boston, Laura? It was. Um, so obviously, you know, I knew your name from reading the backs of the album, the Bay City Roller albums. Knew that you were one of their writers, and then. And this was all pre-internet. This had to have been early 90s. And um, I used to listen to a Saturday afternoon radio show out of Boston that was all Irish music. Oh. And, you know. Oh, come, Laura, have, you, have you Irish blood in your veins? Yeah. I oh. do. Yes. Um, my dad's side of the family is from Carsevine. Oh, yeah. Blood and my husband's family is from um, County Clare. Oh. And actually, my husband had, I think some of his relatives used to work at Dromoland Castle. Wow, you're well connected. Going so anyway. yes. So I do have a little so, bit of Irish blood. So I would listen to uh, WROL's Saturday afternoon Irish radio show. And, you know, they introduced this song and they said who the artist was. And I thought, oh my gosh. He wrote songs for the Bay City Rollers. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that you had a whole career. <laughs> so it confuses a lot of people. Let me tell you that you actually had a career outside the Bay City Rollers. Who? Yeah. So um, you came to Boston. I'm trying to remember. I think it was late 1993. You played at Boston Symphony Hall. Yeah, and you had. Um, a group of young performers with you. And my husband remembers that these performers won some kind of a contest to be able to travel with you and perform mm. with you. And um, it was a wonderful show. So I, I got to see you at Symphony Hall in Boston and absolutely loved it. Wow. I'm getting wow. all emotional remembering it because your songs um, mean a lot to us. The town I love so well, steal away, the oh. old man. Um, our favorite, excuse me, I'm getting so emotional. My oh. husband is a sailor, a merchant marine officer. So your song, Home from the Sea, has a special place in our heart. And thank you oh. for your music. Well, <laughs> tell, tell your husband, one of, uh, one of, one of my sons, uh, Dara, um, yes? is, a sea, is a sea captain in New Zealand. Oh, okay. <laughs> So I have a sailor in my family as well, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I'll have to tell him that. Dude, well, dude. I married a navigational officer from the Royal Fleet Auxiliary. Does that count? Well, <laughs> certainly does, yeah. Certainly does. I can't, I can't call him a sailor, though. He, he was in the Royal Fleet Auxiliary. It's different than the Royal Navy. <laughs> wow. Well, he corrects me all the time. It's maritime just the same. It's maritime. All I knew was that the ships were in town and I was heading for them. <laughs> 
I scored one finally. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, the coffee's kicking in. <laughs> I'm acting silly. <laughs> All right. Um, Mr. Coulter, would you tell us like what you're doing now and tell um, our listeners about your lockdown shows? When the music business fell off the edge of a cliff in February of last year, and all, all shows were canceled, studios were closed, et cetera, et cetera, um, uh, it was pretty dramatic. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I mean, even though I've been doing this for a long time, you know, the idea of, I didn't take that as a cue, ah, Phil, maybe, maybe this, is your, this is your cue to retire, not under the shining light of Christ, not retire. <laughs> Amen. So, no, so um, a couple of the younger guys in my team said, Phil, the only way you're going to keep in touch with uh, with your followers, your fans, your believers, is online. Now, I have to tell you guys that when when uh, when I put together uh, uh, the show Celtic Thunder, which you would have heard of. Oh yes. Oh yeah. And uh, when I put that together, because I was I was a I was the kind of creative force. I cast all of those guys, wrote all of that that show. Yeah. And and ran it for the first three or four specials. Um, we uh, we were all told by by uh, by the I think of the PR company you must have a Facebook page. I said okay, I'll have a Facebook page. I, I I have to confess, in the years that passed, I think I looked at that Facebook page maybe a half a dozen times. Okay. But now now the younger guys are saying, Phil, we got to have this presence online. Mm -hmm. So we we reactivated and started Phil Coulter Music, um, and then from from kind of. I suppose maybe April or, or springtime of last year, every Saturday afternoon, I instituted uh, what I called the Lockdown Lounge. Uh, so here uh, in my office at my piano, I would do a half an hour uh, live stream where I would, uh, at the piano, play a few songs, read a bit from my memoir, Bruise Never Broken, tell a few stories behind the songs. And we did that for months and months and months just to keep people engaged. Um, so now, when I post on my uh, on my uh, on my Facebook page, I think the last three or four posts have like, if, if we get less than 120 views, we're kind of disappointed. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of grown and grown and grown. And look, the good thing about it is, it gives me it gives me uh, uh, a structure. It gives me um, mm -hmm. an out gives me a reason to kind of come to the office, etc. My most That's recent cool. my most recent project, um, again brought about by by the lockdown. Um, my publishers said, you know, in the lockdown, I've seen a real boom in audio books. People are now, you know, yeah. in the lockdown, yeah. or if they're walking or they're running, they want to get the, 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 the earphones in and listen to the audio books. So we just finished recording our audio book, and that's going to be, that's going to be available on Amazon, on Audible, um, I think uh, very soon, by the end of this month or so. so oh, that's wonderful. Those are the kind of projects which... Um, keep you going, you know, in the absence yeah. of, of, of gigs. Um, every year for the last 25 years, I have done uh, a cruise in the Caribbean called the Tranquility Cruise, named after my, my series of orchestral albums, which would have been, which would have been the reason why we were, we were playing with the orchestra in Symphony Hall in Boston, for example. Oh, yes, uh, your classic Tranquility and Sea of Tranquility. I have those CDs. Good for you. Them. Good for you. Yeah. Well, they they kind of transformed my career from being a songwriter and a record producer to being a touring musician and, a, and an orchestra leader. Blah blah blah. So, um, part one of the one of the kind of fallouts from that was this tranquility cruise in the Caribbean every January. But this January, 
We had to cancel last uh, January because of the COVID thing, but that would have been our 25th anniversary cruise. Wow. So that's happening. That's It's rescheduled for January of this year. So with the vaccination rollout and cruising beginning to kick in again, we're uh, we're looking forward to that in uh, in January. It'll be nice to reconnect with our American fans again. Definitely. It'll be just so nice to get back together and seeing live music again. I mean, it's exactly why we started doing these podcasts. I mean, we're not professionals. We're just two fans and we wanted to keep our community together and there's, you know, to create content. And it's sure. just grown into, you know, it's a year later and we're still doing it. And Good. Like I say, I needed a purpose. I needed a reason to get out of my bed and to not cry that day. <laughs> you know, it was a long year. You know, a long dark year, and and here we are at the end of it. Hopefully, so. So are the are the Bay City Rollers fans within the states? Are they are, are they organized into like a proper kind of fan club? Are you still you still guys guys still keep in touch with the. Uh... With other fans or what? Oh, we, well, we we host um, Bay City Roller fan events, so we're a group. There are lots of Facebook groups devoted, some devoted to particular members, some devoted to, you know, different uh, themes, if you will. But right. um, we've been around for about seven years, and Bay wow. City Roller fans since 1996 have been producing fan events. Um, akin to like conventions, if you will, where they pick a city, pick, you know, and they try to get a roller to come and perform. And these have been going on since 1996. Um, Our next one is, we're very proud of this. It just sold out. Um, We are having a fan gathering in New York City um, during the Tartan Day, Tartan Week. And we are marching as Bay City Roller fans, 100 strong in the Tartan Day Parade, representing um, a tartan that was created in memory of Alan Longmuir, the founding member, you know, Alan. And and, um, so we're all gonna be, you know, representing and wearing his tartan, um, 100 fans in the Tartan Day Parade in New York City next year. We are so excited. So excited. Nice. So yeah, we 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 um, I mean we've met people that we wrote to as pen pals as girls because of the internet and we are it's a strong community and it's more about us and our friendships and our lives together now and yeah. you know the Bay City Rollers is kind of the soundtrack to that when we get together. Well, keep me posted on that because the next time you have one of those conventions, if I'm uh, if I'm uh, in the neighborhood, <laughs> we would love that. Oh, that would be wonderful, Mister. Absolutely Thank love you. that. Thank you. Um, well, we're going to wrap up now because, uh, you know, we're keeping here an hour and a half. We love that time that you give us. You gave us. Um, so thank you, so, thank you so much. It was a it's pleasure fun. talking to you. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> you have great My stories. Pleasure, it's been fun. So the, your, the, the one that's coming out on audio, is that the memoir? Bruised, never broken. Yes. Okay. So, uh, so our fan, our listeners can go and, and find that and yeah, um, audible, buy the yeah, book or get it. Yeah, okay. Right. We'll, we'll definitely put all the links and everything up with um, when we post the podcast. You'll hear all about, you can read all about the base hit or hear all about the base hit or rollers on that. Yeah. That's it, okay. And it's you, it, it's you who recorded it, correct? It's your it's voice? My voice. Yes, absolutely. Oh, you didn't get Tim Curry, huh? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> Stephen Ray, he's Irish. <laughs> he was at university with me. Yeah, Stephen Ray. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. All right, I'm going to have to edit this out. I am so madly in love with him. Stephen, <laughs> are you? You know, I, I've I mean, seen him on I've seen him on Broadway three times. Oh my God, he's brilliant, 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 brilliant. Great thing about Stephen when I see him is he doesn't seem to have changed since we were at college together. I mean, I have. I mean, I'm I, I have aged like most people. Stephen, because he's got that big shock of hair, that, he's got that kind of and he has that, that baby voice. face. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. voice. Oh, good. All right, so next time you see him, tell him there's a crazy American girl in love with him. Okay. She accosted him outside of uh, the public theater <laughs> in a nice way. And I got his autograph and my picture taken with him. No, don't tell him any of this. 
He's a lovely guy. He's a lovely oh. guy, I can tell you. I'm glad to hear that because he's kind of, I don't know if he's shy, but he was like not very, he wasn't he as impressed to see me as I was to meet him. He's not, he's quite an introvert. Uh, he's, yeah, he's, certainly right. not, he's certainly not showbiz. Certainly not yeah. showbiz. There was no way it was because he wasn't enamored by me. He probably was too enamored and didn't know how to react. <laughs> the man was obviously awestruck. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Right, were definitely... Thank you so much, Mr. Coulter. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you pleasure. so much for all of your time. We appreciate call, it so call much. Me, call me Phil. Call me Mr. Coulter. It makes me feel like an old man. Call me oh, Phil. Ooh, okay, Phil. <laughs> Oh, this this has been so absolutely amazing to speak with you, and I can't thank you enough for all of your time. We appreciate it so much, and we'll definitely we'll definitely keep in touch. Okay, we could just we could dedicate the last hour and a half to our friend Les. That'll do. Yes, absolutely, oh, absolutely. Okay, girls. Thank you, Take Phil. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Wow, that was amazing. I could have talked to him for six more days. <laughs> And, and not get tired of his stories. He's incredible. I mean, I, we didn't even scratch the surface. No, we didn't. And I, as much as I loved hearing the Bay City Roller stuff, I loved how he told us where he came from, how, you know, his education, how we got into the music business. It, his stories were amazing. Just, I mean, people throw around the word legend and, and we probably kind of have done it too during our podcast, but this is a real example of a music industry legend. I mean, like he said, I love that he mentioned the Brill, build, Brill Building because he was actually the mirror image of that in London. Yeah. Just, just incredible. I mean, what a songbook, you know, so many songs and so many experiences. Um, I, I hope that people who listen to this will be encouraged to buy his book, whether the audio when it comes out in a bit or the hardcover or the Kindle version, whatever. I, I just think that's going to be an amazing, interesting read. Oh, I think and so too. And even to check out some of his music. I personally have been a fan of his um, probably since the early 90s when I you know, discovered him on that Saturday afternoon Irish radio show out of Boston. So I've been a fan of his music for years and I think he gained a new fan today, Suze. Oh yeah, I, when I went into work, I listened to him all day. I had it up on YouTube and it just had like the continuous play. Aww. And I was just amazed by some of the things I was hearing. He has, you know, spoken word with people like um, Liam Neeson and um, I forget her name. She Ro was on Roma a Downey. That's it. That's what I couldn't think of yes. her first name, Roma Downey. And it just went on and on and on. It was just beautiful music to have on while I was working. Yes. Uh, yeah, definitely definitely a fan definitely a fan and as a music junkie i want to read his book oh so yeah. I, promptly, I promptly today. i promptly went and ordered it too today so i'm excited <laughs> about that and i think i kind of want the audio one too because first of all who doesn't love the irish accent hands up <laughs> and every time he said the word girl i was like Oh, I, love it. <laughs> well, I can't control the fangirls. Sorry, but hey, we're, we're talking to fangirls and guys, so it's it happens. Sure it's forgivable, but I mean, just he's a beautiful voice and a, a great storyteller. He is, and he he was he was lovely to talk to. It it ended up being everything that I had hoped for and more. Yeah, me too, and um, 
I mean, I really do want to keep in touch with him. I think he's a, just a lovely person. And we're, I feel so lucky that we had that opportunity. I really do. I mean, yeah. I don't take that for granted at all. It's not, no. I, I don't think he grants interviews just to anyone. And the fact that um, he said yes to us was just, just amazing. Absolutely and, um, amazing. So, okay. I hope everyone loved that. And, um, oh, I hope so too. Thanks for listening guys. Until next time. Keep on rolling. Right, Laura? Right.